How are we doing today? All right, I like it. It's good. Let's keep it up. Okay, here we go. If you have your Bible, go ahead, take it out, open it up. Head over to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 16. Now, as you're headed over there, I need to make a few announcements. So uh, listen up because we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, first of all, we are in the middle of a season of fasting, and I want to encourage you to join us for that. Um, we are fasting and praying, asking the Lord to bring us a harvest of people to come to know him between now and Easter Sunday. And uh, some people are fasting a meal a day, some a meal a week, some are giving up other things, but we're all redeeming that time to come to the Lord and to feast on him in prayer and reading the word and we're asking God to move and I want to challenge you and encourage you to join us in that. Um, Easter is rapidly approaching and uh, praise God, our church has been growing. Have y'all noticed that? Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, it's been good. And uh, yeah, we can clap for that. That's good. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Um, we are going to need a lot of help this year, y'all. Um, we are going to do things a little differently, um, and so I want to just share that with you. We're going to have uh, four services this year on Easter Sunday. The first service is going to be at 7 a.m. Some of you are like, do we need four services? If you were here at Christmas, you already know the answer to that, right? Okay, so 7 a.m., um, we're going to have an outdoor service on the lawn. Uh, 8 a.m., we'll have 9.30 and 11, we'll have services in here. And uh, over the years, I have stood in this, this pulpit, this very spot, and I have made a plea. And that plea has been that if you're able to come to the 8 a.m. service, it would be a great help to us. And we have heard your cries because people have said, I would come to the 8 a.m., but I have small kids and there's no children's ministry at 8, plus my children want to hunt eggs and get candy. And the first egg hunt is after the 9.30 service. So I just want you to know, we have heard those cries. So we will have now full children's ministry at 8 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And we will have an egg hunt after the 8 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And then another one. Yeah, okay, that's exciting. <laughs> Literally more claps for that than whenever I said, you know, we're growing. Okay, that's good. Then we're going to have um, another egg hunt after the 9.30 and then another one after the 11th. So we'll have three egg hunts. We'll have four services plus a fifth one in Spanish. It's going to be a fantastic day and hope that you will plan to join us. And you're thinking, man, this is great. Why are you telling me all this? Well, because we need 144 volunteers to pull that day off. So if you could come to one of those services, that would be great. If it could be seven or eight, I would love you more, but that would be all right. But then, whichever service you come to, if you would be willing to serve, that would be a massive help. We're going to need help greeting. We're going to need help in the parking lot, help making coffee. We're going to need all kinds of help that day um, to help this day come off smoothly. And uh, we'll be talking more about it as we get closer. But believe it or not, uh, Easter is five Sundays away. So um, if you would be willing to sign up to volunteer, hnw.org slash Easter. Um, we're also going to have two Good Friday services, uh, 5 and 6.30. Uh, kids are going to have an event called The Road to the Resurrection. Those services are going to be incredible. Make plans now to be part of all of that. Okay. Everybody is now excited to sign up to volunteer. I can feel just the vibration of excitement in the room. It's good. Okay. So now that we're doing that, let's head over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. As you're headed over there, I want to just give a brief introduction to the Bible. For people in the room who may be new to the Bible, 
The Bible is divided into two parts. The first part, the first section of the Bible is called the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament sometimes um, is known as uh, the Hebrew Bible because it is the section of Scripture that was known to the Jewish people uh, in, their, uh, uh, in their nation, the nation of Israel. And it gives us the record of God's chosen people, Israel, and tells us about how they were looking for, crying out for a redeemer, a rescuer. They use the word Messiah. And uh, all through this time, they probably thought that the Messiah would come and would overthrow the Roman government, that the Messiah would come and, and you'll be a political ruler, a military ruler, something like that. But then we get to the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, and we discover who the Messiah is and why the Messiah was completely confounding in those days because we discovered that the Messiah is Jesus and that he's not a military ruler, he's not a governmental ruler, but instead he comes preaching something totally different, a transcendent kingdom known as the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God crosses all borders, all ethnicities. The kingdom of God one day will be perfected when Jesus will return, but Jesus comes preaching this kingdom, and this kingdom is simple. It is living the rule and the reign of God now. And how do you enter that? Well, Jesus shows us in his life how to live as a member of the kingdom, but then he's executed on a cross. Now, the people who were his followers in that day thought, well, if he's been killed, he must have been a false Messiah. We were wrong about that. But then, three days later, God gives the final verdict on whether or not Jesus was indeed the Messiah by raising him from the dead. And as Jesus comes back from the dead, his followers know he really was the Messiah. And so, they began to preach a good news message we call the gospel, and this is that message. Jesus is the Messiah. You can have relationship with God right now. God has done everything necessary for you to have relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. You have forgiveness of your sin through his death on a cross, and you have the promise of eternal life through his resurrection from the dead. And you can have the power to live right now because he will give you his spirit to live by. We call that the good news, the gospel message. They were preaching it 2,000 years ago. We're preaching it here today. And we believe that God is still saving people, changing hearts, and changing lives through the reception of that gospel message. Amen? Amen. All right, good stuff. Now, Peter was one of the first people who followed Jesus and believed this message. This series is called Growing Pains because it's all about how God grew Peter through this. And so we're reading from 2 Peter, which is a letter that Peter wrote to the earliest believers, and we're going to read here in just a moment from a section of this letter, and we're going to see how God grew Peter and how the gospel had changed him. So if you would, pray with me. Let's pray and ask God to move today, and then let's jump into 2 Peter together. Would you pray? God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to open up this book and to learn more about you. And Father, our prayer right now is that if we are already believers, that what we hear today would fan the flame of our faith into a roaring fire. Father, if there's someone here who is stuck or angry or ashamed or confused or hurting, God, that you would let them know you see them and Lord, that you would welcome them into the kingdom and they would know that they are loved and they are not condemned in this place. And Father, we pray, rescue anyone who's far from you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had an experience, and at the end of the experience, the only thing you knew how to say was, that had to be God? Whenever I was 22 years old, I became a pastor of a church in Breckenridge, Texas. I had no business being a pastor. That's certainly the case, but nevertheless, I was one. Uh, deep apologies to all those people who were in that church at that time. Uh, but I was, uh, very shortly thereafter, Joy and I started dating, then we got engaged, we were about to get married. And um, his church was a smaller church in the country, probably looked exactly the way that you picture it, white church, kind of out in a pasture. Um, I lived next door to the church in a, in a trailer, that was the parsonage there. And um, I, uh, I was excited because I was about to get married, but I learned something that I did not know, which was I don't know how to do income taxes and discovered that rather than receiving a refund, which I had always received up to that point in my life, I had to pay Uncle Sam some money. This was not because I was making a lot of money, by the way. This was because I had withheld zero dollars for the entire year. So my income tax bill for the year was $815. And when I tell you that it might as well have been $8 million, I am telling you the truth because I no more had $800 than the man in the moon. I had nothing, and I was in trouble. So, Joy and I are dating. Uh, tax day is April 15th. We're supposed to get married on April 10th and, you know, go on our honeymoon, and so I'd like to take care of this before we get married, and I call her, and I'm like, what are we going to do? And she says, well, maybe we should pray about it. And I was like, well, what good is that going to do, right? In case you were wondering, she has always been the more spiritual person in our marriage. All right. <laughs> I wish I was lying. All right. And so we started, I said, okay, fine, let's pray about it. So we start praying about it. A couple of days later, this guy comes to me and says, hey, um, I have supposed to, we have this youth event and the speaker was supposed to speak, canceled on me last minute. Would you come speak? Yeah, sure, happy to do it, do it. He pays me a hundred bucks. Okay, $700 remaining. Then the treasurer of the church comes to me and says, hey, we messed up on your paycheck and I want to give you the back money that we owe you from January 1 up until now and it totaled up to $200. So I just needed 500 more dollars. Again, I did not have any money and I was very prideful so I wasn't gonna ask for it. And so, Lord, you're gonna have to come through here. Now I was by myself in my trailer one night reading and I hear a car driving by on the gravel road. And if you could have seen the church and you would have known where I was in my trailer at this particular point, you would have known that no one would drive to my church on that road unless they were coming to the church or to my trailer. That's just the way that it was in that part of the world. I look out the window, sure enough, a car is pulling up and parking in front of my trailer. So I get up, I walk over to the door and I open the door and I meet a woman there. And she says, oh, this is your house. Yes, this is my house. To which she says, oh, well, I visited your church a couple of weeks ago. 
Again, I wasn't very good at my job. Okay, I'm just letting you know that. Like, I mean, my church was pretty small, and I did not recognize this woman. That is really embarrassing. And if you would have known how small my church was, it would be super embarrassing, right? I was like, okay, yes, thank you. Oh, good to see you again. Sorry about that. Forgot. She said, well, today my husband and I sold a piece of property. And uh, we closed on it today, and I got some money. And I was sitting at home watching TV, and the Lord told me to bring this to the person who lived in this house. And she handed me an envelope, and then she turned around, she walked down the stairs, she got in her car, and she drove off. Literally, I'm still standing in the doorway holding this envelope. From can even really hardly say, well, thank you. I turn around, come inside, close the door, open the envelope, and I promise you, before the Lord Jesus, I opened that envelope, and inside there were five $100 bills. Now, being the great man of faith that I was, I fell to my knees and began to bawl like a baby. Called my wife, sorry, soon-to-be wife. She thankfully did not say, told you. you know, <laughs> She just, we cried together on the phone. And I have no way to explain that to you today other than to say this, God provides. Now, I'm sharing the story with you because I want you to understand, Peter had these kinds of things happen to him as he was walking with Jesus. He had these so, sorts of stories and today, I find that oftentimes the church of Jesus is filled with people who have had these kinds of experiences, but sometimes those of us who have had these experiences find ourselves at odds with those who know the scripture well, and sometimes almost know the scripture so well that it feels like to have any sort of experiential faith is to somehow say that the Bible is not sufficient. And what I want you to hear today is that God used experience in the life of Peter to buttress what he already believed about the scripture to give him a faith that was even stronger. The bottom line, if you don't remember anything else, is this. Your experience should not be used to be pitted against the Bible, but should be used to strengthen your faith in those cases. God will bring his act to bear in your life in a way that will line up perfectly with the scripture. And I wanna walk you through this today because that's what's happening in this passage. You see, in John chapter four, verse 24, whenever Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, I want us to see that Peter was walking in this way, with spirit and truth, that God was moving, he was having real experiences, real day-by-day day moments with the Lord, and yet at the same time, the truth of God was real to him through the Bible. And so today, I want us to see how Peter grew from the person who drew a sword and cut off an ear of someone attacking Jesus into the man who was willing to be crucified upside down because he had grown so much in his faith. And that happened, I believe, and I think we can see it explained right here in these few verses. So I want to talk to you today about spirit stories and about theological truth. And when I say spirit stories, I mean stories that we have in our lives because of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with those. First, I want to tell you today from this passage, spirit stories are for skepticism. Spirit stories are for skepticism. Peter was dealing with a group of people, probably false teachers in the church, but maybe they were just people in the community. And if you look at verse 16 there, 
Peter was being accused of cleverly contrived myths. In other words, they were saying, Jesus didn't really come back from the dead. You made this up. You're just doing this so that you can feel better about yourself. And we ought to put Jesus in the same pantheon of gods as we do Apollos and Aphrodite and Artemis. But Peter does not agree with this assertion. And in fact, he wants to come back against them. So how would he do that? Now, most of us, I think, in our lives, we would think we would start with theological arguments because we are going up against someone who is also a theologian. But Peter does not begin with theology. Rather than beginning with theology, the way that Peter addresses the skeptic is he tells a spirit story. He says, this is what happened to me by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want you to understand it. And the story that he tells is a story that you may not be familiar with, but it's the story of the transfiguration. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, you can find it, but I'll just read it for us here this morning. This is what happened. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He, being Jesus, was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So whenever Peter is accused of making up the resurrection, this cleverly contrived myth in verse 16, what does Peter say? How does he respond? Does he come back with a theological argument? No. He says, let me tell you what happened to me. This is what he says back in our passage. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. When people are skeptical, Peter responds with a spirit story. What about you? You got people in your life that are skeptical? Have you yourself ever even entered into a season of skepticism? I can tell you right now that one of the best things you can ever do with a skeptic or in your own season of skepticism is to remind yourself of a story of the Spirit's work in your life. It makes sense when you think about it really, right? I mean, we can get on YouTube right now and we can look up and we can find all kinds of different groups and you know, people who have all kinds of arguments, right? We can look up the Federalists or we can look up the Flat Earthers and they're all gonna have their arguments and their reasons for believing the things that they believe. But the truth of the matter is, is that the best way to overcome people who have arguments is not necessarily with other arguments, but to say, let me tell you the story that happened to me. Several years ago, about 10 and a half years ago, I was a church planter and I was pastoring a church plant called Commons Church. We refer to it as the Commons in Fort Worth, Texas. And this church called, and it was becoming apparent that this was getting serious, and the Lord was leading us, it appeared, to come to this church. And we were really conflicted over this, not because we didn't think this was a great church, but just because we felt like the Lord had called us specifically to plant the church we were planting, and we were honestly confused. We thought, well, Lord, if you brought us here, are you sure that you want us to go to Houston? 
And so uh, every morning I would go and I would sit in my uh, recliner and I would have my time with the Lord. I would read the Bible and I would pray. And I was reading the story of Gideon. And I just remember that section in the story of Gideon where Gideon puts out the fleece. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But he says, Lord, if you're still, if you want me to do this and I'm going to put the fleece out and make the ground wet with dew, but keep the fleece dry and God does it. And he says, okay, well, the next morning, let's make the fleece wet and the ground dry and God does it again. And Gideon says, okay, I'll go do it. So I just say, hey, Lord, I don't know if you still do this, but I'm just going to put out a fleece um, and I'm going to see if you'll just, you know, don't mind answering this kind of ridiculous prayer I'm going to come up with. So Joy and I huddle, we talk about it. And uh, this is what we came up with over the next seven days. God, would you bring three people who would come to us and they would say this. The commons, that was the church we pastored. The commons isn't your church, that's God's church. We thought, okay, if someone will say that to us three times, three different people, then we'll take that as a fleece that we're supposed to continue on and to, to go to Houston. Twelve hours later, I'm having lunch with one of our volunteers. We're having a block party that weekend, which was an outreach that we did regularly in our neighborhood. But I couldn't be at this particular block party, so I was meeting with this volunteer to make sure that he could run it smoothly. And I just said to him, hey, Lorenzo, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to be here. I apologize about that. I wish I could. Thanks for running it. To which Lorenzo said, you guessed it. Hey, Steve, don't stress about it. The commons isn't your church. It's God's church. That's 12 hours after we had prayed that prayer. I was kind of looking at him like this. (laughs) Thank you. Three days later was Joy's birthday. We went to meet some friends at a Papado's somewhere in South Dallas we're sitting there. They're like, well, hey, what's going on? How's everything going? How's the church? We're telling them about it. And then I said, well, this is kind of this thing that's weird right now. We're not really sure what to do. We're kind of praying over it. And my friend Britt looks at me and he says, Steve, the commons isn't your church. That's God's church. And Joy's like, you know, got her fork in her hand. <laughs> Interesting, right? A few days after that, I was in Corpus Christi for the annual meeting of Texas Baptists. And I was meeting with... Um, one of my spiritual fathers, one of my mentors, and I was telling him what's going on. I said, I just don't know what to do, to which he said, you already know what he said, right? (laughs) So I called Joy, and of course, we both start crying. Apparently, all my stories involve us on the phone crying. I'm not sure what that's about. (laughs) And so we ended up coming to Houston. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because there have been times when I didn't want to be the pastor of this church anymore. No offense. I was just ready to quit. It was hard. Like, whenever the church got wiped out by Hurricane Harvey, I was like, somebody else can do this, right? And I wanted to quit. I wanted to leave. But I could not shake that God had supernaturally brought us to this place. I knew that God had done it. And when I would cry out to God and I would say, Lord, I mean, can somebody else do this? He would say, hey, listen, you knew when I brought you here, and you're going to know when I tell you to leave. And I was like, well, okay then, fine. <laughs> now, I'm sharing that with you for this reason. Sometimes we need Holy Spirit stories so that when life is getting tough and we want to give up, we can go back to those. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, like, You've probably, at some point, if you've thought about it actually, you've gone, wow. So I believe that a man in the Middle East 2,000 years ago came back from the dead and is currently ruling the universe. (laughs) Sounds a little weird whenever you put it like that, right? If you haven't grappled with that, you should grapple with that. 
And when you grapple with it, you will have to come to a moment to say, do I actually believe this? And you know what has helped me actually believe it? Are stories like the ones that I've told you this morning. Because I don't have any explanation for those other than Jesus. We actually have a little saying at our house. Was that crazy or Jesus? It tends to be Jesus, right? So I share that with you because if you're here right now, I want you to know that we have a living God and that living God is still doing crazy, miraculous things today because he wants you to not simply have a blind faith, but if you will trust him, he will meet you where you are, he will provide, and he will do things that I cannot predict because he is the God of the universe and he is still at work. God wants you to have a lived faith. And so Peter doesn't come with clever arguments. He just tells them about the transfiguration. And he says, hey, this is what happened to me. And they go, wow, okay. But then the second half of this passage, the second part. See, the first part, these spirit stories are for skepticism in our own hearts or in the hearts of others. But then look, look at verse 19. It then just turns Right, so he tells about the transfiguration. And then in verse 19, he just then says, we also have the prophetic word, strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Now, what is he talking about when he says the prophetic word? Well, he's referring to what we would call the Old Testament. In other words, he's saying the spirit stories are awesome, but the scripture is true as well. So these spirit stories are for skepticism, but here's the next thing I want you to hear. The second thing to remember, theological truth is for tuning. Theological truth is for tuning. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the era where my grandparents and my parents all had vinyl records. It was like just an awesome time. Love that. Love the turntable. And so a few years ago, you know, they started finally, you know, pressing records again, and I got excited into this kind of, you know, uh, retrieval of this. So I bought my own turntable and just kind of messing around and learning, uh, learning a little bit about it. And I, I loved it. But I mean, if I'm honest, my speakers that I had did not sound great. And uh, one of my friends, Jason, is a pure audiophile. And Jason was visiting and he said, Steve, I'm going to help you out here. And the way that he helped me out was he got me a different amp and different speakers and when I sit in my office now, it's like a totally different experience. He sort of tuned my room for the right audio experience. What I want you to understand is that many of us have had these experiences and they've given us a notion of who God is. But if you want to fine tune and have the best understanding of who God is, you take the experience that you've had and you run it through the matrix of scripture. That will help you take what has happened to you and actually make sense of it in a way that you can say, oh, this is who God really is. Because our temptation is to take the things that have happened to us and for us to think that we understand them and to attribute meaning to them without actually lining them up against the Bible. But if we line them up against the Bible, we'll actually begin to understand what it is that we believe. One of the things that people are talking about regularly right now is a word called deconstruction. And deconstruction, I would say, is basically when people grow in their faith and they begin to hold up what they have believed against with what the scripture teaches, and they go, wait a minute, what I was taught doesn't line up with what the Bible says. 
And so they begin to deconstruct, to tear those things down, and then hopefully in a healthy setting, then reconstruct, rebuild their faith based on what the scripture teaches. And what I think that many of us have had happen to us is experiences have come our way in our lives, and they have gone up against a cliched or tired theology, and they have found that theology lacking. And if we don't get a more robust theology, a more full picture of who God is, then our faith will die because these lived experiences sort of interrogate our theology and our theology doesn't have answers. However, if we take our lived experience to the scripture, we can find that the Bible has been answering the most difficult of questions since its creation. And we can then discover that God has a robust theology for us that will actually give us a theology that is beyond cliches, that's beyond bumper stickers, but instead will actually give us something that is much stronger, much healthier, and much more in line with the person of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we'll have a theology that can help us understand, interpret, and give meaning to whatever has come our way. Fancy way to put that is this, is that rather than our experiences interpreting the Bible, we have to let the Bible interpret our experiences. Does that make sense? Right. So what happened with Peter? Peter knew the Old Testament. He, he had known it his entire life, and then he goes up on a mountain with two other guys, and Jesus starts to glow in the dark. And he says, whoa, what just happened? Elijah and Moses show up. He has to make sense of this. So what does Peter do? He takes his experience, he holds it up against the scripture that he had, and he comes to a conclusion. And what is that conclusion? Jesus is the Messiah for whom we have been waiting. Okay. We need to do the same. When we have experiences that are supernatural to our eyes, when we have experiences that don't make sense initially, rather than us trying to create a meaning, we need to hold them up against the Bible and say, okay, Scripture, help us understand what is it that we have just experienced. The way that Tom Schreiner puts it in his commentary on 2 Peter, I love this. For Peter, the transfiguration was the exegesis of the Old Testament. If that doesn't make sense to you, I'll just try to make it very plain. Jesus, um, sorry, Jesus explained everything that Peter had learned in Sunday school up to that point. And he saw Jesus transformed and he said, okay, now I get it. So what does that have to do with us? Many of us in this place have to recognize that we have had very, very hard things that have happened to us and we want to make sense of it. And Peter says that the prophetic word in verse 19 should be paid attention to because it is a lamp shining in a dark place. In other words, our hearts can be confused by the experiences that happen to us and they can darken our hearts. And if we don't take the lamp of the Bible and shine that lamp in there, we will come up with all kinds of crazy things that aren't true. This is what I mean. Disease will one day darken the door of your house, right? Someone will abandon you. Abuse will happen. Maybe something like that or far worse has already happened in your world. And if we don't have the lens of the scripture to help us understand what has happened, what do we do? We will actually begin to believe something false about God. So we'll think, for instance, God's punishing me. 
or will think, this is happening because I'm a bad person. When really what we need is we need to go back to the Bible and we read, God is good and he does good. Okay, so when we read that, then what do we do with that? We say, oh, God is good and God does good. Therefore, these things that are happening to me is not because God is evil, right? A lot of us have had terrible things happen to us and we have then actually gone back into the mythical way of thinking about God, the way the ancient Greeks did. Oh, God must be mad at me, so I've got to do something to make God happy. Guys, God was already pleased at the cross of Jesus Christ. So we don't do something to make God like us more. Now, we may walk in obedience, we may repent so that we can walk more freely in the Spirit, But that doesn't mean that God loves us more or less. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1, right? So we know that if we'll take the scripture and shine that light on our experiences, we can actually see who God really is and we can stop taking the things that have happened to us and trying to pretend who God is because God has actually already told us who he was in this book and by revealing himself in the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, in our lives, whenever you get diagnosed, for instance, in my case, with heart failure, rather than thinking God is evil, whenever someone you love dies, whenever tragedy befalls you, rather than thinking God is evil, you can say, okay, I hold this experience up to what God has already taught me about who he is. Verse 20. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. This is what Peter's saying. The people who spoke for God in the Scripture, and that was the case in the Old Testament and now is the case in the New Testament, did not come up with this on their own. God carried them along. This is Peter's phrase. Carried them along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God told them what to say and how to say it. And so they did. And this matters because our temptation is to think that we know better than God. Some of us are like here today and we're like, well, Steve, you know, I believe the Bible, but I've struggled because I haven't actually experienced God. So like we're going, yeah, I get the theological fine tuning that you're talking about. I know the Bible, I've studied the Bible, but I've never actually had any lived experience. And this is what I wanna tell you today. Many of us know truth, but we never had experience with God. Why? Because we've never actually tried to live what we've been taught. People are always like, I wanna go deeper. Well, before you go deeper, try doing the things you've already learned. Right, it's like, well, I want to know the Greek, you know, and that kind of thing. That's great. Try, try praying for your enemies first. How's that working out for you? People are like, well, I don't really want to do that. Well, then God can't move. Well, that seems really hard. Yeah, it is. Let the Holy Spirit of God fill you and move you in that way. So B.B. Warfield called this, this act of the prophet being carried along by the Holy Spirit concursus, which means that God is actually telling us what we need to know. This isn't something that Peter made up. This isn't something that the prophets made up. What happened is that Peter looks back at Isaiah and says, oh, by his stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. Peter goes back and reads about the child will be born unto us by a virgin. Peter reads all those things in Isaiah and says, oh, I can make sense of what happened to me. It's Jesus. 
And those of us who are here today need to make sense of what's happened to us, not by any other means, but instead by going back to the Bible and seeing, God, what is it that you want to do? Now, this is the cool thing. We can't see it in our English, but when Peter says, we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, verse 19, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining into a dark place, look at this, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Peter's using the word there for morning star that was usually used to refer to the goddess Venus. He's saying, oh, you think I have a myth? No, no, no. One day, my Jesus is going to return, and when my Jesus returns, he'll be the true morning star, and Venus will fade away. And what he's trying to tell you is, is that he believes that because he has had lived experience and also he has studied the scripture together. And those two things have come together for him to believe that he has the greatest understanding of reality. Now, this matters. Some of us are like, wow, okay, this, this sounds kind of complex. This sounds kind of hard. Yeah, it is. Because when we start taking our experiences and lining them up against the Bible, we will constantly be fine-tuning our theology. And as we're fine-tuning it and understanding it and reading more and growing more, it will be hard. And some of us are still holding on. I want to be clear. Love Sunday school. Great thing. But some of us are still thinking of God in second grade terms. And we can't figure out why the God that we have been putting in a second grade box isn't sufficient for the things that we're encountering when we're now in our 50s. And the answer is because we have to keep going back to the word and fine-tuning this so that we can have a God and an understanding of God that will actually meet us where we're at, right? Paul himself said, right, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. And I think that Paul would probably join in with Peter here and say, church, Let's not just have these experiences, which are amazing, but let's also come into an understanding of God through the scripture that we read and put together in alignment with those experiences so that we can know how glorious this God is, how incredible this God is, so that way, whenever the tough stuff comes, I don't have an anemic vision of God, but rather I have a picture of God that is so glorious that it can withstand whatever may befall me. And this is what God wants, I think, for each of us. We can hold these complex things. The Bible is our best lens for interpreting reality. So what do we do with this passage? Glad you asked. I think that some of us in this room, it's pretty simple. We just, we just need to know the Bible. Like we've had plenty of spiritual experiences with the Lord. We've been in church. We've had things happen. We're like, man, that was awesome. That was so cool. So, you know, God moved. But we haven't been able really to explain it or share it or understand it because we haven't taken the time to study the scripture. So once a month, um, first Sunday of every month, happening actually right now over in the adult building, we have a class called Foundations. If you don't know how to read your Bible, one hour every month we have a class called How to Read the Bible. You can learn how to read it. Studies have been shown I want to be very clear. I am honored that I get to stand here and teach the Bible on a week-in, week-out basis. I am honored that you show up and listen to me. Thank you. However, if you come every Sunday and hear 52 sermons a year, it will never, ever compare with your spiritual growth that you will experience if you read the Bible for yourself every day. Just won't. 
52 meals a year or 365 meals a year, right? I want you to grow. And studies have shown that self-feeders, that means people who feed on the scripture themselves, grow more quickly and more robustly. I'll never be able to preach enough sermons to help you to spiritual maturity. But if you will meet with God in prayer and in reading the word, he can grow you. So some of us need that. Some of us need to join a life group or a Bible study. Uh, We've got tools we can give you, Bible recap. There's a cool thing called the Bible Project. You can look that up. They've got these cool videos that can help you understand the Bible. There's all kinds of stuff, and we would love to help you with that. So I wanna tell you that. So that's, that's part of it. Second thing, some of us, it's not about scriptural knowledge. Some of us know the Bible really, really well, but our faith is dead. Duncan Campbell, the pastor most closely associated with the revival on the Isle of Lewis, wrote a a journal about his experiences when he was there. And this is what he said about his experiences there. This is what he discovered on the Isle of Lewis, an island that was filled with churches. He said, I discovered a correct view of scripture was no guarantee of righteousness. In case you didn't understand that, just because you know what the Bible says doesn't mean that you're doing it. I already know this. I live in Houston. I drive here every day, right? Do people not know about turn signals in Houston? (laughs) No, they know about them. They just don't use them. Do people know about speed limits in Houston? Yes, they know about them. They just ignore them, right? There's a lot of people in a lot of churches who know what the Bible says. They're just not doing it. And then they say, why am I not experiencing the power of God? When we walk in willful disobedience against God, do you know what happens? We experience, the only thing I would know how to liken it to would be as if the circuit between us and the Lord gets weaker and weaker and the more disobedience in which we walk till it finally breaks. This is why Paul says, don't quench the spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know about you, I've known people that look like, I don't know how to put this, like they, they are at church every week, but they are as mean as a cuss, right? Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? How can you be at church every week, hear the gospel, read the Bible, and be that mean? Well, the only thing that I can come up with is, is the, the Holy Spirit has not been allowed to invade your life. So either this person isn't saved or they are walking in willful disobedience and disconnecting themselves from the source. And if we want God to move in our church, some of us need to know the scripture, but others of us just need to start obeying the scripture. And until we get to a point where we will hold up our hearts and our lives against the mirror of the Bible and bring those things into alignment, we will never know the power of the living God. The thing that I'm amazed at is that despite all of this, God is yearning to pour out his spirit and power on this church and every church in the world. That's what God wants to do. I love the way that Susie Silk puts it. God can't lower his standards because he's God. However, he will put his righteousness on us so that he can interact with us. And if we will 
allow him to put his righteousness on us, then we can interact with him. So here's what needs to happen today. Some of us today need to commit to say, I'm going to get serious about learning the Bible. And if you need help, let us know. Others of us are going to say, I'm going to get serious about living the scripture. But then others of us today are going to get serious in this way. We're going to say, not only am I going to live the scripture and I'm going to study the scripture, but some of us in this room today are going to do this thing. We're going to actually give our heart and our life to Jesus for the very first time today. Because you can't live this until the spirit of God has filled your heart and your life. So I'm going to pray over us right now. And I'm going to give you just an opportunity to think about how it is that you need to respond. But God wants to give you lived spirit stories. And God wants you to walk in the knowledge of the truth. And where those two things come together, you can have a faith that is so strong that just like Peter, you can grow. You can change. God changed Peter. He can change you. And he'll give you your stories to tell as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that in this place and in this space, anyone, anyone can come to you. Those right now who are saying, I I need to learn the scripture, I need to be more faithful and steady, Lord, I pray that right now they would just turn their heart and their attention to you. And they would commit right now. They'd say, Lord, I want to learn, I want to learn the scripture. And they would just covenant with you right now. And Lord, if they need help, then you send them to us and we'll help them. God, there's others in the room that they need to just repent and say, I've got to live what I actually believe because I want the spirit of the living God to move in my church and I want the spirit of the living God to move in me. And then finally, there's some people in this room that just need to say yes to you. And I just want to pray for them right now. So nobody looking around, everybody got their head bowed. I just want to pray. If you'd say right now, I need to place my faith in Jesus for the very first time. I just want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand and say, I'm ready to come to place my faith in Jesus. Raise your hand up, okay? I see you, sir. I see you, sir. I see you as well. Who else? Place your faith in Jesus. Put your hand up. Who else? It's a little hard for me up here with the light, so you might have to raise it up high, but let me see your hand. Raise it up. Okay? Okay, thank you. Father God, I thank you for these three hands that I've seen. There might be more who've placed their faith in you today. And for these three who've placed their faith in you, Lord, I I just want to ask them right now, if there's others I missed, just join in with me. Just pray where you're at. The words aren't magic, but just pray with me in this way, in this heart, this spirit. God, I know I need you. God, I want your spirit in my life. And because of that, I'm I'm placing my faith in Jesus. I believe that he's your son. I believe that he died to give me forgiveness of sin. I believe that he rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And today, I wanna commit my life to him. God, thank you for all of these, all the ones who've responded in whatever way today. And God, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. 
If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text KNOWJESUS to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.